We are continuing our series in the book of Psalms. Today I will be reading Psalm 37. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at this place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, this psalm, as you just heard, is rich with truth. And uh, as I was talking 
with someone before the service this morning could preach a number of sermons probably from this psalm, but fear not, I will preach just one this morning. Uh, This psalm, Psalm 37, is referred to as a wisdom psalm, as a wisdom psalm similar to Proverbs. The primary function is instruction for how to live a righteous life. Yet the psalms are also, unlike Proverbs, songs of poetry uh, intending also to provoke our emotions. So as we read Psalm 37 this morning, we look to find wisdom from its author, King David. But we also do that through his emotive instructions about how we are to live. So let's pray for our hearts to receive God's wisdom this morning. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you do speak to us and that you want to give us wisdom. Pray that you'd allow our hearts to receive that wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a college student here at the University of Illinois, uh, I read the book, The Shadow of the Almighty. I'm sure there's a number of you that are familiar. It's the biographical account of Jim Elliot, written by his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. I'm sure also many of you are familiar with Jim Elliot's story. Uh, as a missionary to a remote native tribe in Ecuador, he, along with others, were martyred trying, by the people that they were trying to reach with the gospel. And throughout this book, The Shadow of the Almighty, Elizabeth Elliot included journal entries written by Jim himself, and I was always struck uh, by his perspective on life. And so The Shadow of the Almighty quickly became my favorite book. Uh, As a college student, I remember being struck um, by the eternal perspective that guided Jim's life. He was not interested in building prosperity in this world, but was entirely concerned with giving his life away for the sake of others knowing the gospel. These types of people and these types of stories are compelling to us, I think because we can sense in our hearts that this is the way to true life and joy. Jim Elliott was not fretting about things of this world. He was not envious of worldly prosperity. He was solely focused on giving his life away for the gospel. And to this day, Jim Elliott is often quoted in his most famous quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, it's wise to give your life away today because you will gain life with God forever. This is an eternal perspective, and this is the wisdom that King David offers us here in Psalm 37 today. So here's a summary of that wisdom. Uh, It's not necessarily a short summary, but it's a summary nonetheless. Focusing on the immediate prosperity of the wicked leads us to fret and envy. But focusing on our ultimate outcome leads us, leads us to trust God, do good, and delight in the Lord. And underneath this, I see four key points uh, that outline this wisdom for us. The first, do not fret over or envy the immediate outcome of the wicked. Remember the ultimate outcome of the wicked. Remember the ultimate outcome of the righteous and live in light of your ultimate outcome. So first, do not fret over or envy the immediate outcome of the wicked. So as we approach this passage, we must be clear. According to the Bible, there are two and only two types of people, the righteous and the wicked. Either we are enemies of God or children of God. In the Old Testament, there were the people of God, Israel, 
and there were not the people of God, all the other nations. In the New Testament, they're either those in Christ or separated from Christ. So the first two stanzas of Psalm 37 summarize the call of the entire psalm. They read, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Before diving in too far into the psalm, let's take a step back. What is, what is the context here? So it doesn't appear that King David has a specific circumstance in mind when writing this psalm. Rather, general wisdom for life that he had likely attained through life experiences that we could read about throughout the Old Testament. So verse 1 of Psalm 37 is almost identical. Uh, as I mentioned, Proverbs and this psalm, very similar. So it's almost identical to Proverbs 24, 19 through 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So we know from David's life that he's not writing this psalm as one without any life experience. He's not just pulling this out of thin air. He he has experience with reason to fret or envy. His life was full of turmoil, conflict, and sin. He knew what it meant to wait on God for his deliverance and to pursue eternal perspective in the face of worldly trials. And one thing that we can infer about our human condition from Psalm 37 and even these first couple verses is that when the wicked prosper, we are prone to fret and envy. This is a universal human problem. There's not one person in this room who has not fretted or envied and been tempted to do so. Fretting is a word we don't use often, uh, but in this context it simply means anxiety producing worry or agitation. So again, verse 1 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And verse 7, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. So what, is, what does that mean? How do we fret and envy because of evildoers? I think this can take many forms. We might be agitated or worried because those who do not love God appear to be winning the cultural battle, battles. We might be agitated or worried because the voices of godless people are louder than ours. We might be agitated or worried because it looks like you can only succeed in the world if you do not follow Jesus. Whatever form it takes, we are prone to fret when evildoers prosper. How are we tempted to be envious, then, of wrongdoers? We might be envious of those who are materially wealthy. We might be envious of those who have the job, degree, or position of power that we want. We might be envious of those who don't have to sacrifice the same things we do as Christians. Whatever form it takes, we are prone to envy when evildoers prosper. We may even consider the question, I think if we're honest, we ask this question, if I did not follow Jesus, what could I do or be or what could I have? Personally, I know I'm often tempted uh, to this way of thinking. A few weeks ago, I was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin for an extended family reunion. If you aren't familiar with Lake Geneva, it's a beautiful area, pretty big lake, uh, about an hour north of Chicago. Uh, It's been inundated with wealth from Chicago area elites for about 150 years, 
there's a shoreline trail that encircles uh, the entire 21 miles of shoreline. You can walk through the yards. It's open to the public. Uh, and you can walk through the yards of these beautiful lake house mansions. The more, majority of these houses, like I said, are mansions, beautiful, worth millions and millions of dollars. Needless to say, they're beautiful. I think there may even be a picture of one up here. So one morning I was on the shoreline trail for a morning run with my two brothers and was admiring the houses. There was one in particular where I saw a couple who I assume owned the lakefront mansion sitting on their gazebo enjoying their morning coffee. And that, I thought, is what I want. If I had that, I'd have everything. I'd have peace, joy, security, and so on. And now, don't hear me say that owning large houses or owning lake houses is evil. And I'm not trying to say anything about this couple enjoying their morning coffee. Who knows, they could have been faithful followers of Jesus. Maybe they were. But what I am saying is we are all tempted to believe the lie that if, instead of following Jesus... I pursued wealth and a lakefront mansion, I could have it all. Maybe for you it's not beautiful lake houses that tempt you to envy the wicked, but we can all so easily see another person prospering in worldly success, wealth, etc. And we think, how do I get there? How do I know that I'm getting everything I can out of this world? Am I missing something? Oh no! What do I need to do to be like that? And thus begins our fretting and envy. So I ask you, can you relate? What ways are you tempted to fret over or envy those who don't follow Jesus? I think if we're honest, when we look at the world around us, we are tempted to say, they don't have to submit to God's authority. They don't have to do the hard work of thinking critically about all they do before a holy God. They don't have to walk the hard road of following Jesus. They don't have to take up their cross daily. And even more, they prosper. Worldly people get to pursue and enjoy worldly pleasures, success, happiness, without inhibition of conscience before a holy God. They have riches, security, power, prestige, and they have it now. And I better get some for myself too. Or else, who knows what might happen to me. In short... We see these people and we think they submit to nothing but themselves and their own pleasure. And to our weak and weary souls, that can sound like the greatest relief. But this Psalm of David speaks against these lies. And let's be clear again, these are lies, and this is exactly the wisdom we see here. So what, what is this wisdom? I'll remind you again, if we set our minds on immediate outcomes, the current prosperity of the wicked we will fret or envy. Yet if we set our hearts and minds on ultimate outcomes, we will trust God, do good, and delight in the Lord. So the second point, remember the ultimate outcome of the wicked. Verse 2 tells us, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Again, the wisdom of this psalm is a call to remember the ultimate outcome of the wicked and the righteous. So what is this ultimate outcome of the wicked? Let me list off a number of ways that this ultimate outcome for the wicked is described here in Psalm 37. The wicked will be cut off. The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked will be no more. The wicked's arms will be broken. 
The wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord will vanish away like smoke. Those cursed by God will be cut off. The wicked spreads himself like a green laurel tree, but he passes away and is no more. Transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked is cut off. This is not how any of us want our ultimate outcome to be described. For those who are not followers of Jesus, their future and their ultimate outcome is to be cut off from God forever. All of their worldly prosperity will mean absolutely nothing, and it will vanish with them. That's what this psalm tells us. And this is a bleak picture. Yes, but this is reality. The unfortunate reality of life in a world marred by sin against a holy God. Even more, this is the ultimate outcome for each that each and every one of us deserves. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, especially the Psalms, and how they describe the life of this righteous person, pretty often I think, that's not me. I'm not the righteous person, and I know it. And it's true. I'm not. And apart from Jesus, I am the wicked man. Apart from Jesus, we are all the wicked, evildoer, transgressor, enemies of God. Yet, as we read in the absolution, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is good news. If we trust in Jesus, we have been made righteous. If you are here and you do not yet trust in Jesus, you can be made righteous. Even though we know this to be true, if you're anything like me, you're tempted to look out on the world and think, especially about those who are prospering, according to the world's definition of prosperity, they're good. They have it all. They're living the good life, and they're okay. And this is the lie the enemy wants us to believe. He would love for us to fret over this, to be envious of the world, and be consumed with these things, forsaking living for God's kingdom. But what is David reminding us here? The evildoer is not okay. Apart from God, no one is okay. Their prosperity is short-lived, though they have wealth, success, pleasure. Now their end is coming soon. So as the wisdom of the psalm instructs us, in order to keep us from fret or envy, let us also rem- let us remember the ultimate outcome of the wicked, and let us also remember the ultimate outcome of the righteous. And for those who trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on your behalf, we can say it another way. Remember your ultimate outcome. Remember my ultimate outcome. What is the ultimate outcome of the righteous? Again, let me list what God tells us about our ultimate outcome in Psalm 37. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land. The Lord upholds the righteous. He knows the days of the blameless, and his heritage will remain forever. Those who delight in God's way have their steps established by the Lord, and they shall not be cast headlong. The righteous will not be forsaken. His children will never be begging for bread. God's saints will not be forsaken. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The righteous will not be abandoned by God or condemned. The blameless and upright man of of peace has a future. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. So clearly for the righteous through Jesus, our ultimate outcome is God-given deliverance, salvation, provision, and inheriting the land. And just a quick note, what is the land? 
I struggled with this question as I was reading this. It's not a phrase that we uh, use in, in common language here. So for Israel in the Old Testament, this was the promised land. For us, though, the land refers to all the promises of God. For the righteous, those who wait on God, we receive God's promises, his good promises, and ultimately the promise of life in God's presence forever. That's the land that we get to look forward to and that we have now. As the New Testament tells us in 1 Peter 1, 3-4, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The righteous person has an inheritance of unimaginable riches, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So do you believe this? If you are in Christ, you have a glorious inheritance. You will one day dwell with God in all perfection where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, and you will reign with Christ forever in the glorious presence of your heavenly Father, fully experiencing his untainted love and joy forever and ever. For those of us who are in Christ, this is our ultimate outcome. And remembering our ultimate outcome gives us perspective for how to live today. So if we consider the ultimate outcome of the wicked and now the ultimate outcome for us through Christ, how are we then to live? How do we live in light of our ultimate outcome? Even more specific, how do we live in light of these eternal riches that await us? What does the psalm say about what this looks like? I see three instructions for how to live a righteous life that flow out of the certainty of our outcome. These three things are trust God, do good, and delight in the Lord. Only by God's grace, with an eternal perspective, can we trust God, do good, and delight in the Lord. So first, trust God. Where do we see this in this psalm? Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Verse 5 and 6, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. In light of our ultimate outcome of a glorious inheritance, we can trust God. He's given us eternal joy. Can't we also trust him to provide today? We can also do good. Where do we see this in this psalm? Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. See the contrast here. The wicked are living for this life only. So their life is focused on themselves. Why would they not hoard all riches resources and time for themselves. But for you, follower of Jesus, in light of our ultimate outcome, we're free to do good to others. We can be generous. We can give. Why? Because we know all of this is temporary. All worldly riches, success, time, resources are not our source of joy. So we can be generous and give. And finally, we are free to delight in the Lord. So where do we see this in this psalm? One of the most famous verses from this psalm and from maybe all of the Bible, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As I said, this is an often quoted verse. And in a self-focused world, we really like the second half of this verse. Wow, we think. 
God will give us what we want. Gifted Bible teacher Nancy Guthrie says it well when she says of Psalm 37.4. How often we hear this verse used to basically say something like, get close to God, and that's when you can expect that he is going to fulfill your desires. That's when you're going to get what you really want. I don't think that's what this verse means at all. I think it means that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, and by that we enjoy him, we abide in him, we listen to him speaking through his word, and we talk to him in prayer. We share a life in him because we delight in him. Then the result of that process is that he gives us desires for our hearts. It's not that he gives us what we desire. He actually gives us new desires so that we find ourselves wanting more of him. What she's explaining here is that the worldly man delights in worldly pleasures. He'll get them, and he'll never be satisfied. But you, though, follower of Jesus, have a delight that is far greater. And as you, as you delight in God more and more, your desire will be increasingly aligned to his in this world, and it'll be fully fulfilled in the next. So delight in the Lord, abide in him, listen to him, talk with him, walk with him daily. In light of our eternal inheritance, we need not fret or envy because of evildoers. Instead, we can trust God, do good, and delight in him. So what does this practically look like for us? Before we, before we think about this, I think it's important to note that the life of the Christian, the life submitting to God, taking up your cross daily, battling against sin, compassionately suffering with others, rejecting pleasures, repenting daily, and everything else that we are called to as followers of Jesus is hard. It's a difficult life. So let's look at some situations we might be facing. Because of these things, we might be feeling weary, worn out, discouraged. And this person, I'm sure many of us can identify with this, you might be tempted to envy the non-believer who indulges in worldly rest to escape reality. But remember your ultimate outcome of eternal rest in God's presence, which will free you to trust God. Because he's given you eternal rest through Jesus, you can trust him for the rest, renewal, and encouragement today. You can do good. You can give yourself away, knowing your ultimate rest is coming. And you can invite others into that eternal rest. The world around us is weak and weary too. Let's invite them into that rest. And we can delight in the Lord. We can enjoy his strength, even though we are weak. So another situation. Are you in financial distress? Worried about having enough? Maybe you've even made sacrifices as a follower of Jesus that have kept you from financial gain. You will be tempted to envy the non-believer who has a lot of material wealth. But remember your ultimate outcome, eternal riches of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And this will free you to trust God. As verse 25 of Psalm 37 here tells us, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And you can do good, as we talked about. Verse 21, the righteous is generous and gives. And you can delight in the Lord. He owns everything. You are his child. And you can enjoy your generous Heavenly Father. Another circumstance we might find ourselves in. Are you worried about our culture? 
a society that seems to be getting more and more divided and chaotic with each passing day. You will be tempted to fret over the evildoers in our, our culture, especially those in places of, of authority. But we can remember our ultimate outcome, eternal peace with God under his perfect authority. And this will free you to trust God, do good, and delight in the Lord, who is ruling and reigning in perfect justice and righteousness. Final situation here. Are you suffering, full of sorrow and pain that doesn't seem to cease? I know there are people in this room, in this category. You will be tempted to envy the non-believer who numbs their pain with worldly pleasures, who escapes it through these things. But remember our ultimate outcome, eternal joy where there will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And this will free you to trust God, to do good, and to delight in the Lord, who will wipe away every tear. So one thing that's very clear from Psalm 37 is that God's word does not deny the difficulty of this life. Verse 19, they are not put to shame in evil times. In the day of famine, they have abundance. Yes, there will be evil times. There will be famine. And in those times, we'll be most tempted to envy the wicked and fret over their prosperity. But for the blameless through Christ, we are not put to shame. We're not abandoned. In famine, we have abundance. How? Because our ultimate outcome remains secure no matter what comes in this life. I think the Apostle Paul puts this well in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is a psalm calling us to look, as Paul says, to the things that are unseen. And again, as Jesus said himself in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So as we await our eternal inheritance, remember this wisdom, brothers and sisters. Focusing on the immediate prosperity of the wicked leads to fret and envy. But focusing on our ultimate outcome leads us to trust God, do good, and delight in the Lord. And yet we must remember that this is not just a call to muster up a good life perspective with all of our strength. This is not a sermon simply telling you to have good perspective on life. Rather, it's an invitation to live wisely by seeking God, setting our mind, minds on things above, so that we live in light of this future hope that we have, and not according to the worldly pursuit of immediate prosperity. This is a call to give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. It's a call to look upon God's faithfulness to us as sons and daughters purchased by the blood of Jesus and live in light of that truth. Which is why I will end by reading the final two verses of Psalm 37, verse 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. 
He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Brothers and sisters, your salvation is from the Lord. Take refuge in him. Let's pray together. God, we, we praise you that you give us wisdom for how to live. You've not left us alone to our own devices. We thank you, Lord, that our salvation is from you, that you are a stronghold in time of trouble. We thank you that you help us and deliver us because we take refuge in you. Help us to be a people that take refuge in you, looking to our ultimate outcome purchased through Jesus. In his name, amen.